0: Hello, this is Father Kelly once again. Now we are at the the Pontifical Institute Notre Dame of Jerusalem Center. Basically, it's a pilgrimage retreat guest house in Jerusalem, where we'll be staying for the last days of our pilgrimage. We left Bethlehem this morning, did some stuff, and now we are here. Now, I have a little bit of difficulty... Forgive me if I pause on some things today. Uh, usually when I do this, I've been flipping through the pictures on my phone to remember what to talk about. Uh, but foolishly, yesterday, I took my phone with me into the Dead Sea. Now, my phone's usually waterproof, but apparently uh, water seven times saltier, saltier than the ocean is a little bit more damaging than normal water. So, uh, the last pictures I have are from a few hours before we went to the sea. Uh, It's the last things that my phone uploaded to the cloud before it went the way it did. Uh, So if I'm a little bit slower today, that's why. But you know, honestly, it wasn't that bad. Everyone in the group is taking a ton of pictures, so it's not like I won't have pictures eventually for what we did today. Uh, But also, more importantly, it's not so bad to not have my phone out all the time taking pictures. Uh, actually, it helps to enjoy the day a lot more. Uh, In general, taking pictures is not a bad thing, but you know what? A lot of tourists and even pilgrims uh, get way too focused, in my opinion. Uh, Even I accuse myself of this. Get way too focused on taking all the pictures of all the things. Just enjoy where you are and pray. Take a few pictures, maybe, but you know what? You don't need a picture of every wall and every painting and every chapel. Sometimes it's okay to just enjoy it and pray. Anyways, soapbox aside, um, I'm a little bit slower today because I don't have uh, anything in front of me to look at to remember what I'm talking about. I think I, I made a list. I think I'm going to hit everything. We'll be all right. We began the day by going to uh, the Ascension Chapel, uh, which by the, you know, Bethlehem's not very far from Jerusalem, so it was a pretty short drive this morning. We went to the Ascension Chapel, The place where it is believed that jesus ascended ascended into heaven after the resurrection so resurrection happens jesus spends 40 days with his with his disciples uh strengthening them reaffirming them teaching them more uh, before he ascends into heaven so this is the traditional place where the ascension happened Uh, apparently it used to be traditionally uh, down the hill a bit and then uh, they for whatever reason not sure decided that it was further up the hill this is a chapel that's there Uh, like many chap like many religious sites it has gone through several cycles Uh, it was a church in the original site and then a byzantine church later and then it was a mosque for a while and then it's not an active church anymore and it's still a muslim property but it's not actively a mosque Um, but Jesus being a prophet in Islam and they, you know, the idea of him ascending to heaven is kind of nice, so uh, they didn't fully destroy it like they did many Christian sites, um, and so they kept it, and now it's available uh, for anyone to come visit, though it's not, you, know, you can't have mass or there there's nothing, um, it's not explicitly a Catholic or Christian site, uh, but it's a site that at least was and is available. Um The unique feature of it, aside from being that place, is there's a stone uh, that looks to have a footprint in it, and it said that that's the you know the footprint of Jesus as he as he took off for heaven. You know, lovely devotion. I did pray with it there. Um, It's one of those things that it might be, it might not be, but it's really not the point in a way. Uh, The point is that it's a place to pray with to the spiritual moment of Christ ascending into heaven. Wherever that happens to be, it's nice to have a physical place. We are incarnational people, so we like having something tangible to hold on to when we when we do our praying. Uh, just down the hill from that, which was the original site that was thought of as the ascension, is the the Paternoster Church, which is our Father. So it's again, I'm not sure of the historical logic here, but uh, maybe they thought, well, if this if the ascension place is up the hill, then this must be the place where. Jesus taught his disciples to pray the Our Father. You know, they they ask him, teach us how to pray, and he responds with the Our Father. Sorry, this is all on the Mount of Olives, by the way. Uh, The Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane is, which is right across of the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem. So when you're up on the Mount of Olives, you look down and you can see the temple and the whole old city of Jerusalem. So just for context, that's where we are. So Ascension Chapel, just down the hill from the Patanoster Chapel, uh, which is where traditionally Jesus taught the apostles the our father. Beautiful little place uh, actually owned by France. Apparently I think I mentioned this a couple couple days ago that uh, a lot of the holy sites are they're the ones that are that are um, Catholic churches uh, were given to the French by the Ottoman Empire who was in control of the area still to help, you know in thanksgiving for the French having helped the Ottomans defeat uh, somebody in the east, I forget who it was exactly. Um, so a lot of that's where, that's why so many Franciscans apparently run the holy sites because they were given to the French, um, who I guess then put Franciscan friars there. This particular site seems to be run seems to be owned by France itself. There's French flags flying. Um, a lot of things are kind of in French primarily. But all around the walls and the in the courtyards outside are. Uh, big engravings of the Our Father in many languages. Apparently, there's like 175 languages represented there, and most of them are ones I hadn't heard of. But that was very fascinating. Um, I didn't actually make it inside the church, though, because off to the side of one of the courtyards, I found a gateway that went out into a garden. And I hadn't prayed morning prayer yet, so I thought, ah, this would be a beautiful place to to go finish morning prayer. And it most certainly was. Gravel path leading down a row down down rows of olive trees, uh, big pine trees, kind of overshadowing it all. The morning sun was coming in. It was quiet. It was peaceful. It smelled like uh, sage and pine trees uh, or rosemary, perhaps, and pine trees. Rosemary bushes next to me, too. Just a beautiful scene, quiet, still, tranquil, which if if you've ever been on a pilgrimage or to a big city like Jerusalem or Rome or whatever, you know that finding a peaceful tranquil quiet place is rare so it was a great blessing to actually kind of be away from the tour group for a minute pray my morning prayer thank god for the sun this little bit of of respite and so that by the time i finished morning prayer walked the garden you know to the end of it and back uh, i didn't even have a chance to go in the church which i'm sure it's a lovely church but in this particular case the walk in the garden And the peace of that was a lot more valuable than, um, to be honest, seeing one more church. As lovely as it is, and of course, as blessed as it is to go in and pray for a moment. After that, we went down the hill a bit to the Jewish Cemetery, which overlooks, really, we were there because it overlooks uh, the city uh, from an unobscured vantage point. Um. And, of course, it's also important for the area in general. Uh, This Jewish cemetery covers a massive, massive portion of the side of the Mount of Olives. And when you're in in Jerusalem later looking back towards the Mount of Olives, it's literally nine-tenths of the hillside is basically stark white from these burial sites, from the cemetery. It goes from the top of the valley almost all the way to the top of white gravel, white monuments... Kind of like a raised box, not not like the the graves we have in the U.S. that we're used to. Um, so this this covers almost the whole hillside, but among that there are um, terraces that come out, which are perfect viewing sites for for viewing uh, the city of Jerusalem. But it's also relevant for the Mount of Olives and Jesus's sort of coming as the Messiah as well, um, because part of the expectation of the Messiah is that he comes down from the Mount of Olives through the cemetery in the city of Jerusalem. And all those who are in the cemetery rise with him to go to uh, the final judgment and to um, the victory of the Messiah. So it is not just a sidebar, but it is it is very relevant to Jesus's life, to, well, to Jesus's um, coming as the Messiah, that the cemetery is here Though of course, um, the expectation of the Jewish people of what the Messiah would be and what Jesus actually was are not are not the same, um, but it's not irrelevant that the cemetery is there. Anyways, our guide, of course, pointed out things in the city of Jerusalem, but also from that same vantage point, gave us a very good description, which you don't usually get which is kind of hard to put together sometimes, of the path of Jesus on the days and the hours before his passion or that were part of his passion. So as we stood there on the hillside, he pointed out that, okay, across the hill, on across the valley, in the hill on Jerusalem, on Mount Zion, which is not where the temple is, but is the hill sort of across the little valley that's inside the city, uh, across the hill, across the valley, on the next hill over, is the place somewhere up there where Jesus ate the last supper with his disciples, the upper room. Uh, now, he's said several times, if, if anyone tells you they know exactly for sure where where the last supper happened, they're wrong. There's some speculation, and later in the day we went to a place that was probably where it is, but only with vague certainty, Um, so, but we know that it was for various reasons, um, somewhere up in the certain quarter of the city. Um, he says that the guide told us that you notice in the gospel, Jesus tells the, the apostles, look for a man carrying a water jar, follow him to a house and prepare the Passover there. Well, that doesn't strike us as anything particularly special, you know, do with a water jar. Fine. Well, in the first century, only women were the the women were the ones that came and filled up the, the jars of water from the Gihan spring down on that side of the city, and so to see a man carrying a water jar would have been very very rare. In fact, almost never would have happened. So it wasn't that it was you know we I think as twentieth as, uh, century folk we miss the significance of a man carrying a water jar. That was a very special thing to be happening, and so. Um, they suspect that Last Supper happened in this certain quarter of the city because only the a uh, certain community of Jews were, didn't have any women in their community. They lived an ascetic life. And so a man would have had to go get the water for them. And so scholars think that that's why it was so unique that a man got a water jar and that's why they followed him to the upper room. Anyways, so Jesus had the last supper with the disciples, with the apostles, and then he comes to the Mount of Olives to pray. So he comes down the valley, out of the city, up to the Mount of Olives, prays the Garden of Gethsemane. The mob comes and arrests him, arrests him. He goes over to Caiaphas's house, where he's interviewed by the high priest. He spends the night in the dungeon there, which we'll go back to later. I'll talk about that at the end. Caiaphas sends him to Pontius Pilate in what is it the the Antonia Fortress which is next to the Temple Mount built by uh, built by Pilate basically to keep an eye on the Jews he was in charge of the city so he built himself a palace next to the temple so he could keep an eye on the temple Pilate not sure what to do with him sends Jesus across town to where Herod lived uh the uh not the fortress it has some kind of name like that that kind of means castle whatever where herod lived across the city herod sends him back to the antonia fortress and then it's there that jesus is condemned and led out from the antonia fortress next to the temple goes across town again and is taken out of the city gates and crucified there so he pointed out to us the pattern across the city I don't know if you're not looking at a map, this doesn't quite make as much sense, but it was really good to have this uh visual to be able to point and basically draw lines on the hor- not the horizon, but draw lines on the city across the valley from us. He went here, he went here, he went here, he went here. It really helps to bring kind of a, a tangible sense uh to the path of Christ on the last day. We go down the hill as we keep going down the hill to uh, a church, which didn't have a chance to go inside just because of the crowds that were there, but um, a church that commemorates the place where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. So as he's, as he's coming, uh, coming in on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before the Passion, he stops as he's riding the, the donkey into town and weeps over Jerusalem. So this is the spot that commemorates that. Next, we kept going down to the Garden of Gethsemane, And into the church there. Now, you expect the Garden of Gethsemane to be uh, this quiet reserve on top of the mountain. It's not. It's maybe... It's an area of trees, maybe 200 by 100 feet. That's probably being generous. Um, Right beside... You know, slightly above, but basically right beside... A major street with buses and cars going by and a bunch of noise. Um, and the, there are the old olive trees. There's probably, there's eight olive trees that are about 2,000 years old. Um, but it really is this small little area surrounded by buildings on all the sides. Um, the whole hillside used to be covered in olive trees. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm sure, was much larger uh, back in the day. But for various historical reasons, basically the city of Jerusalem always being under siege and being destroyed and over time. Most of all trees are gone. There's just this little, little quarter there. Um, the guide suggested that the reason even this didn't get destroyed, or the reason that this didn't get destroyed, though everything else did, is that the, the Roman soldiers who destroyed the city were staying in that Garden of Gethsemane, so they didn't destroy where they were literally living at the moment. But they destroyed everything else. So, but actually we were going to mass in the church, which is right there next to the garden of Gethsemane. We're going to have mass there. Uh, So I was following the guide and father Irwin to make sure to go to the sanctuary to get, get ready for mass. because We were were kind of pushing it on time. So I walked right past it. Didn't, didn't quite realize, I mean, I saw olive trees, but I didn't know that that's what it was at first though. I kind of, I realized it as I'm walking into the church, like, Oh, there it was. Well, I'm sure we'll come back. So we go in, get ready for mass. I'm the celebrant today, though Father Owen was preaching, uh, which he's doing this whole trip, thankfully. But I was the celebrant, and we process out of the sacristy into the sanctuary, go to the altar, reverence the altar, begin mass. And as I'm doing the opening prayers, I notice this large rock coming up through the floor in the middle, of in you know, right in front of the altar in the sanctuary. And as I'm praying the opening prayer and looking around at the church, you know, seeing the images that are there, I realize that. This rock, right here in front of the altar, is the rock, is the place where Jesus prayed. Where he um, was tempted by the devil, where he prayed, you know, let this chalice pass for me, but not as I will, but as you will. Where he sweat blood, where he's ministered to by an angel, and where he you know, goes back and forth from when the apostles are sleeping, and then where finally he gets up from, to go be betrayed by Judas and, and hauled off and arrested. So we're having Mass right in front of this rock where Christ was laying prostrate and praying, uh, which was I wish I would noticed before Mass began, but of course it was a very profound place to be offering Mass. So I offer my Mass, you know, thinking of this at the moment, um, offered my prayers for priests, for priests to Uh, to take up that cross that difficult cross of being representatives of christ so we had the mass i made sure to use eucharistic prayer three so that we could uh, mention stanley Rother in the prayers it seemed very fitting at this place at the place where christ though fully free to reject it accepted the cross that he had to bear well (laughs) accepted the suffering that was to come even though he knew what would happen. So it seemed very fitting to mention, to use the prayers, to be able to mention Stanley Rother, who also, like Christ, knew what was going to happen, but accepted what was prepared for him anyways, uh, for the glory of God and the good of us all. So it was very fitting and a very special moment to hear his name mentioned in this church, in this place. After mass there, we went out to uh, lunch on a beautiful hillside, again, uh, overlooking the city up on the Mount of Olives. And we've been blessed over and over again with fantastic weather. This was uh, another beautiful day, sunny skies, almost no wind, mid-60s, absolutely glorious, had a great lunch out there, had a fantastic cup of coffee and some dessert afterwards. Wonderful day. Um which the coffee was very helpful because there are no naps on this trip because we keep going and going. And so, even though I'd I'd love to find a hammock between some olive trees somewhere, had to keep going, needed the coffee. What a blessing. We then drive down across the valley up into the city of Jerusalem, go to, up on Mount Zion, which I mentioned earlier, go to, um, not even a chapel, but just a place that is possibly the upper upper room, um, but no one's really for sure uh, that it is this, definitely. Uh, we prayed the Decade of the Rosary, of the, the uh, institution of the Eucharist, and then later, and then we prayed after that, the Mystery of the Rosary of the Descent of the Holy Spirit, because remember, the disciples gather back in the upper room where the Eucharist happened um, when they received the Holy Spirit. Um, after that, we moved on to the Church of the Dormition, which was fantastically beautiful. the Church of the Dormition is the, again, traditional place where Mary is was ascended into heaven. Now, the idea of Dormition raises some questions which are left unanswered by the Church. Did Mary die and then was raised up to heaven? Or, at a certain point... Did she, was she simply raised up to heaven while living? In a sense, it doesn't matter because we know that she is body and soul into heaven as the church defines. um, But we don't know what the end of her life here on earth looked like. And both ways are very beautiful. In the first sense, in the first way that she was just taken um, up without having died, whichever I said first, but we're gonna talk about that one first. In that sense, we would say that You know, St. Paul tells us the wages of sin are death. Mary had no sin, so she shouldn't die. We can apply that logic fairly enough. And so um, perhaps we speculate that there was... Jesus said, okay, now it's time. And he brought her up to heaven um, when it was the right time to do it. Perfectly fine with that. Or we could say that even though she did not sin, uh, perhaps it was fitting that out of humility and a desire to be like and with her son, she would die, but then, you might say, promptly afterwards, in, in the following moments, um, be taken to heaven, body and soul. Not sure. There's no uh, documentation saying what happened. We know that she is in heaven. That's The, tr- the church has always held that. Um, so, it's not a question of whether it happened or not, but the momentary details of it which in the end are interesting but not essential this church is full of many beautiful mosaics uh, not old ones it's, it's a rather new church actually um but well like like most properties here it has a very complicated history of of other churches and then newly newly built things um very beautiful though um, it was here that of course i saw early guadalupe again she has shown up every day so far uh, we couldn't go into the the crypt of the church, which is apparently has a very beautiful statue of Mary sleeping. Um, by the way, dormition uh, to dormir is the Spanish word to sleep. So I'm sure that Latin is similar. So it's the Church of Mary Sleeping, basically um, sleeping and you know meaning like the sleep of death, but not really dead. So it's the Church of the Dormition because she quote died or at least finished earthly life and then was ascended into heaven, but so I got a. We couldn't go down there because it's under renovation, apparently. But in the gift shop, uh, I saw a postcard Our Lady Guadalupe, and then I looked closer, and it's actually the beautiful statue of Mary asleep, and Our Lady happens happens to be uh, on the a mosaic of Our Lady Guadalupe on the wall behind the statue of Mary asleep. And so I thought, ah, thank you for that grace. There, we couldn't go to the crypt church, but I happened to see this postcard um, of Nuestra Senora once again. She shows up every day. Isn't that lovely? Um, so, happily, after um, seeing the beautiful mosaics, and though not in person, so to speak, uh, the postcard of de Guadalupe and the beautiful statue of Mary sleeping, moved on to Caiaphas's house. Well, it's not Caiaphas's house now. It's the church called Peter in Galicantus, which means uh, Peter where the cock crowed, where the rooster sang. Uh, because remember, it was at Caiaphas's house that Peter denied Jesus three times, and the cock crowed. So the church that's there now uh, commemorates that when Caiaphas or when Jesus, I said earlier, was taken, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, taken to Caiaphas's house, uh, Peter's in the courtyard, and he denies Jesus, and the cock crows, and then Jesus was kept at Caiaphas's house in. The dungeon in the cistern basically um under the house because caiaphas was a mob boss apparently who kept the dungeon for torture in his house you know who does that but apparently caiaphas did so we of course saw the upper church uh, the lower church and then you can go down into um, into the dungeon to the cistern where christ himself was kept overnight before being sent uh, out to um Pontius Pilate Herod, them back to Pontius Pilate, then crucified. So it was in this cistern, in this dungeon, is the last place that our Savior spent the night before his passion, before his crucifixion. So we we read Psalm fifty-five, which is a sorrowful psalm that speaks of being thrown into a well, actually, um, and and you know it uses uses it as a metaphor but Jesus, who would have had all the psalms memorized, um, surely that psalm, that sorrowful psalm, came to him, came to his mind, came to his heart, when he was literally thrown into a well um, in this moment of his sorrow, in this agony that was already happening and forthcoming even more. So we explored the site there. Um, also on that same site are stairs that basically they ran up and down into the city. They went, they ran next to Caiaphas's house, but... Um, very surely they are the stairs that Christ would have um, been walked up on his way to Caiaphas's house. So they were the last stairs he would have taken into the city of Jerusalem. So he would have and maybe even gone down them to go to the Mount of Olives the first time to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. But he definitely came back into the city up through these stairs um, for the last time. So they're, of course, a place of reverence where Christ walked And, you know, where he walked on the way to his passion. So we prayed a moment um, with those stairs that may seem odd um, to pray with stairs. But when Jesus walked on them, they become a special place. So we prayed there, um, eventually got back onto the bus, came around to our guest house for the evening where we are now, where I am now, at the uh, Notre Dame guest house, you might call it. A beautiful, honestly looks like a castle, a beautiful place. Feels like a, looks like a castle, feels like a seminary. Lots of rooms, um, kind of stark in a way, but beautiful. And a chapel that is gorgeous. Um, So we're staying here tonight and for the rest of the nights of this trip. Tomorrow morning, we have a wake-up call at 3 a.m. Yes, 3 a.m. So that we can be out the door by 4 a.m., to go do the Vida La Rosa, the Stations of the Cross, and see the Holy Sepulchre for the first time. We'll go several times. See the Holy Sepulchre by, what, 6 in the morning, I think, um, so that we can have an early Mass, be the first pilgrims to see inside the Holy Sepulchre, in the, it's called the Etiquius, little chapel over it, see inside the place where Jesus was laid after his crucifixion and where he was resurrected from, you know, the stone slab from which he arose to come out into the world as the resurrected Christ. So we get to go there tomorrow morning, um, but very, very much in the morning so that we can avoid the crowds and be there in a prayerful, quiet way. Um, do the stations in a prayerful, quiet way and not um, to be... If you do the stations in the afternoon and go to the to Holy Sepulchre in the afternoon streets are jammed full of people, vendors shouting at you, um, Asian tourists jostling with selfie sticks, taking pictures in the Holy Sepulchre. Sounds rude, but it's totally true. Um, so we're going very early in the morning so that we can have a prayerful experience in this most, most holy of places. So once again, thank you for listening. Know of my prayers for, uh, know of my prayers for you all, and please pray for us as we continue this holy pilgrimage. God bless.